For those of you who are visiting us today, it's really lovely to see you. We're in a, the middle of looking through one of the books of the Bible, wandering through the book of Luke together. And as you would have heard, we've reached uh, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. These are fantastic chapters, and I cannot urge you enough to go home and read them and to take in the stories and parables of Jesus that you find there, but also the words and the actions spoken and done by Jesus there. But we're going to very quickly look at a couple of the passages that uh, David read to us a little bit earlier, because we've reached this point where we're going to be following Jesus into a new way of mission. We're going to be following Jesus into a new way of mission. And these passages outline for us the kind of things that Jesus did to fulfill what he said he was coming to do, which was to seek and save the lost. So we're going to see how he did it, think a little bit about how we do it, and realize we might need to do a little bit of repenting. So we've made it to uh, Luke 8, and as we can see, it's talking about the time has come for the kingdom of God to take rule on this earth. It's time for us all to be changed and to live under the kingship of God, for God's kingdom is near. And that's what Jesus was doing. He said after this, Jesus traveled around from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus was a man on a mission. He was going to proclaim with deed and voice that God's kingdom was here, that God was king, and that his rule was to take place on earth. And this would transform people, he would say, because it was a kingdom of love, a kingdom of grace, a kingdom of freedom. Jesus was on a mission to tell all he encountered the good news of the kingdom of God. And he was completely motivated to do this. Now, a few weeks ago, Julie uh, helpfully unpacked something for us. And I've got my flip chart. I'm sorry if you can't see it. I hope you can. But I'm not pushing it that way because I'll get wet again. I only brought one lot of clothes. And Julie talked about a triangle that looked a little bit like this. I don't have a Mac, so I couldn't do it as pretty as Julie. So I've gone back to the old school. She talked about a triangle that's become familiar to a few of us over the coming uh, last year. And she talked about a triangle that was about Jesus' life in balance. She highlighted that Jesus spent a lot of time on his up. He spent a lot of time just hanging out with his father, about spending time resting in his presence, fueling himself for what was to come. He used to hang out with his father early in the morning, late at night. But also we learned that he was in constant communion with him. He was always in the presence of his father. He also spent a lot of time in, in, hanging out with the disciples that he had chosen to follow him, that motley crew of 12 fishermen and a whole host of other people, as we'll think about in a minute. And what did they do? They used to hang out together. They ate together. They learned together. They prayed together. They sought God together. They used to have a lot of fun together. They spent a lot of time on the inn. But Jesus, as we've read in these passages, spent a lot of time out spent a lot of time hanging out 
with those who were not followers of him, those who hadn't understood the good news of the kingdom of God, those who didn't have a clue who God really, really was. And the triangle points that direction. You see, up and in are absolutely crucial to our balance of life. But our out needs to be what drives us. Let me explain some more if we can have the screen back on. Julie talked about a few weeks ago, and I urge you to listen to it. It was when it was snowing and loads of you weren't here. But Julie talked a lot about how our life needs to be in balance. We need to have times with our Father. We need to have accountable times in. But actually, we need to be driven by our mission because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We as his followers need to come so that we can seek out the lost and introduce them to Jesus. So keep that in your mind, which is why it's on the flip chart there. And let's think a little bit about what this new kind of mission looked like. Firstly, if you turn to uh, the beginning of chapter 8, you learn about the motley mix of people that were following Jesus. It says this, the 12 were with him. The 12 were a group of fishermen. They weren't amazing communicators, very well-trained evangelists or teachers. They were a motley mix of people. But more than that, if you read the rest of the passage, it goes on to talk about some women. And there are also women who've been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, from whom seven demons have come out. Joanna, the wife of the manager of the Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping and supporting. See, there were the 12 that followed Jesus around, but then there's this list of women. And for these guys to be written here in a, a, a Bible passage is incredible. You have to think back, this is 2,000 plus years ago, where women's status was so low. For them to be allowed to follow such a renowned teacher around, for them to be mentioned here in a scripture, is hugely significant. There's little doubt in the uh, scholars who have looked at these passages' mind that these women were really significant in traveling around with Jesus. They would be the ones who went to the women who followed Jesus, who were suffering. They would be the ones who were supporting. And it says here that they supported Jesus out of their own means. Jesus' first disciples were a right motley mix of people. And that's really reassuring for me. Jesus' new kind of mission didn't depend on those who had it sorted. Jesus' mission depended on people's availability and their obedience. You see, we've all been chosen, that's what the Bible says, to be part of this mission, to be part of this exciting opportunity. John chapter 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I've chosen you, but I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I've chosen you to be part of my mission. (coughs) Excuse me a moment. You've been chosen by the King of Kings to be his worker. And it's not dependent on your good looks. I'm sorry about that. It's not dependent on your amazing skills as a communicator. It's not dependent on whether you're really good at drawing on a sketchboard. It's dependent upon your availability and your obedience. We've been chosen. But the question is, Are you willing to follow Jesus and do what he does? Are you willing to put your life as intentionally out as Jesus did? 
Are you willing to have a life which is about seeking the lost that are out there? A massive question for us. And in the company of each other, we all go, yes, bring it on, we're off. Let me go now. Don't leave now, please, but let's go now. But actually, a few chapters later, in chapter 10, which we had read to us, it says this, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus says here that the harvest, those who are lost, are ready to hear about Jesus. They're ready. And that certainly hasn't changed in 2,000 years since Jesus spoke these words. The harvest here in Ipswich is vast. It's vast in numbers and it's vast in need. People need to know Jesus. It's the only hope for their future. That hasn't changed. And I'm not sure that the second bit of that verse has changed either. The workers are still few. And I include myself when I say this. If I could speak personally for a minute, think back over the uh, past few years. And I'm not sure I've been completely bothered about the lost in my world, if I'm honest. And you can all say naughty Claire. But I'm not sure that they've really, really bothered me enough to get out of my comfort zone and do something about it. I might have in voice be ready and available to do something, but I'm not completely sure I've been bothered enough to really do something about it. I think for me also, I hadn't really grasped how incredible it was to be involved in leading people to Jesus. I knew it was a good thing to do, but I hadn't thought about how incredible it was. And therefore, for me, it just felt like hard work, risky, something that the train should do, which is a worry. That was so wrong. That was so wrong. The other thing for me, and uh, this has been a journey, I've realized that my ways of doing things aren't always the way that Jesus did them. I grew up in a a good evangelical Baptist church where we had mission weekends. And I remember feeling great dread about the mission weekend because it involved me and my recorder standing on the streets of Bath uh, playing Shine Jesus Shine. Um, It was beautiful. Occasionally, there were two of us. And uh, when there were two of us, it was even worse. And we would stand on the steps of our church, which was right in the center of Bath, occasionally with a singing group, and we would sing. And this was our mission weekend. And we'd try and get people into the church for coffee. Well, if you got past the singing, the coffee was worse than the singing. So it wasn't going well, really. And these mission weekends accumulated with an evening service for us to invite our friends to. And there was a huge build-up, and, you know, we practiced our recorders well, and we were ready for that evening service. But we were told we had to bring our friends. And believe me, I tried. I invited everybody I knew to these services, and no one ever came. And I remember halfway through one service feeling hugely relieved that none of my friends had come. Because, frankly, the Christians weren't going to find Jesus, let alone the non-Christians. And that was our mission That was the way I grew up understanding what mission was all about. You laugh because some of you have played Shine Jesus Shine on the recorder too, haven't you? Some of you grew up in churches just like me, where there was such a focus on this was how we did it. And actually, I grew up understanding that I needed to get my friends to fall in love with the church rather than fall in love with Jesus. 
I grew up thinking if I could get them to like the church, then eventually they might like Jesus. And frankly, I didn't like church much, so I was on for a real loser. It was going to be really hard. Over the years, praise God, I've realized that my ways haven't always been the way that Jesus asks me to live. Unfortunately, Jesus knows that's in us. He knows that we need to discover how to do it from the master, not just to make it up ourselves. And so the next few passages outline for us the way that Jesus did it. Unfortunately, there's no sign of a recorder or shine Jesus shine in his ways. And I'm quite relieved about that. If you open with me to chapter 9, it's a rich chapter, but we're just going to focus on the first uh, few passages, a few verses here. And this is a really huge moment for Jesus. He's sending his team out for the first time. Off they're going to do what he's been doing, teaching about the good news, showing the good news in action. It's a really, really significant moment. We've reached chapter 9 of Luke. What has he been doing up till this point? You see, he can only send these guys out because he's got this pattern of gathering and scattering. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. That's what it says in the first verse of that passage. He gathered his guys together. They followed him around and saw how he did it. They spent time reflecting on how he had done it. They spent time eating and sharing together. They spent time bonding together. They spent time hanging out, listening to their father. They spent time reflecting on what was going on. Jesus took every opportunity to teach them about what it meant to be part of the kingdom and how to be workers of the kingdom. He gathered them together. And because of the gathering together, he was then able to scatter them. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The disciples, after gathering together for a time to empower them, to equip them, to enable them, they were sent out to do what Jesus was doing, healing and proclaiming the good news of God. But then we notice again, after a time of scattering, they gather again. They come back to the home. They come back to the the safety of their community. And they spend time reflecting upon what has happened. Now, if you read the rest of chapter 9, you soon realize that, unfortunately, as they went out, they got into a bit of a tricky place uh, with a guy, a child who had so many spirits, they just didn't know what to do. And in the end, uh, if you read verse 39 and 40, the spirit seized him and suddenly he screamed. He threw himself around and uh, the, the father of the man said, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. The disciples had got themselves in a sticky place. They were supposed to be doing what Jesus was doing, but they just couldn't. They didn't know what to do. They'd run out of relying on God somehow and they started relying on themselves. And so Jesus drew them back together, gave them a bit of a telling off and said, this is how you do it. If you look in other uh, Gospels, it, it talks much more about Jesus gathering them back together and saying, this is how you should have handled that situation. I'm gathering you back to teach you out of the experience that you have just had. I see you out. Come back. Let's think about it. Let's learn. Let's gather together. 
So Jesus spent a lot of time gathering and scattering his disciples. And the question for me, I guess, is who do I gather with? Who are the 12 or so people like Jesus gathered around him? Who encourage me? Who inspire me? Who maybe challenge me when things aren't going so well? Who are discipling me? Who are those people that I gather with? Who are those people that when something goes really well, I go back and celebrate with? Who are those people that when something doesn't go well, I gather back with and get encouraged by or told, actually, that went badly because you didn't trust God enough or that went badly because you wore the wrong shoes or whatever it is? Who do I gather with? Who do you gather with? To be a disciple means to be willing to be trained for and sent out on a mission. To be gathered and then be sent. It's a question for all of us. But what do we do when we scatter? I met this guy in the streets of Bath when I was a kid. Is this what we're supposed to be doing? This is what my church pretty much did. There was a lady who used to dance in uh, uh, lots and lots of neck curtains and tell people about Jesus. Um, she was very well known in Bath, not in a good way, unfortunately. Most people tried to avoid her. Who are we being sent to? And what does that look like? I am so relieved that it doesn't look like this. Jesus outlines in chapter 10 a clear way for his disciples to go out and seek and save the lost. And it does not look anything like that. Jesus says, find a person of peace. Find some people of peace. If you turn to chapter 10, you'll find that helpful. So he's talked a little bit about the harvest being ripe, the workers being few, and he's saying, right, you are the workers. I'm sending you out. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to enter a house and say peace to that house. And if a man or woman of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And Jesus gives them the freedom. If actually that person doesn't like you or isn't receiving of your message or whatever, you may leave. Time to go. That isn't a person of peace. The first thing Jesus says is find a person of peace. And what does a person of peace look like? It's somebody who's open to you, who's interested in you, who you get on well with. Someone who wants to be around you and you want to be around too. That's a relief, isn't it? I'm not sure any of those people wanted to be around me when I was playing the recorder. But actually, the people of peace, the people God is sending us to, are those that want to be around you and you want to be around too. Let's think about some of Jesus' people of peace as a way of doing this. This is Simon Harris's favourite story because he relates well to Zacchaeus up the tree. Zacchaeus was up a tree. He had to get himself to the top of a tree to see Jesus. Now, if that's not a person of peace, what is it? That is somebody who was desperate to hear from Jesus. That was somebody who was desperate to be in relationship with him. That was somebody who was desperate to understand who Jesus was. Zach's up the tree. Unfortunately, Jesus spots him. And he spots the ridiculous effort it took for him to come into Jesus' attention. Climbing a tree must have been hard and undignified for a grown man, especially such a wealthy man as Zacchaeus. 
A man who climbs a tree to get a glimpse of you is definitely a person of peace. And Jesus recognises this, and he simply invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. I'm coming for tea, Zacchaeus. You're a person of peace. I'm coming to eat with you. And he eats the food Zacchaeus gives him and spends the afternoon hanging out with him. The simple presence of Jesus being in Zacchaeus' house changes Zacchaeus so much that he's willing to give away half of his possessions to the poor and he vows to pay back all the money that he has cheated four times over because he knows that he's been changed by Jesus. Who are the Zacchaeuses in your world? People you get on well with, people you have a natural affinity with, people who appear really open when you talk about Jesus, people that you know are just there and wanting to know more about Jesus. You might not have many peoples of peace. I think I've got three uh, who, are, who are people of peace in my world. And I think actually it's impossible to have many because the time that Jesus had to take to invest in Zacchaeus, for example, was quite huge. But the time that I need to invest in is even more significant. And it's even more significant because what Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 10, you see, he goes on to say, you need to go where they are comfortable. You see, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus's house for food And in this um, verse that we've just read, it says, go to their house. Don't invite them to the synagogue or don't invite them to your place. Go to their house. Go where they are comfortable. Maybe it is their home. Maybe it's a coffee shop. I get accused of spending too long in Starbucks. There's a reason and it's spiritual, honest. We need to go where people are comfortable. If God wants you to go and work with people who like being in the pub, you have to go to the pub. If God wants you to work with homeless people, you have to go where they are. If God wants you and has put people of peace in your life who are film buffs, then brilliant, go to the cinema. You need to go to where people are comfortable. And you need to allow them to serve you, to show you hospitality. For me, this is a tricky one. Verse 7 in chapter 10, stay in that house Eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. How good are you at letting other people serve you? Some of you are really good at it. Some of you really aren't. For me, when I think about the people of peace, I'm always thinking, right, God, what can I do to help them? How can I show them God's love? How can I be for them uh, Jesus' hands and feet? And those are good questions to ask myself. But actually, we're talking about building accountable relationships and where Jesus can be discovered. For me, I was ill a couple of weeks before Christmas for a while. And if you've ever been ill with a toddler, you know that's fun. Uh, It involves far too much CBeebies. And a few of the people of peace in my life uh, came around and took my toddler off. And actually, for me, that was building a relationship with them that was far more significant than me just serving them. It was about saying, actually, we're friends, we're partners. And in that, I want you to find Jesus, definitely. But it's about building relationships. And we need to accept their hospitality and allow them to serve us. For me, accepting a dinner invite rather than always being doing the inviting is about sharing something more in common. 
It's about sharing life together, not just being the provider to your friends. This one is why we can't have too many peoples of peace. Verse 7, the end of that, said, Do not move from house to house. You may walk with some of the people of peace in your life for the next 25 years. You may know them forever, into eternity, because they found Jesus. We have to spend intentional time. I'm not talking about blocked out minutes here and there, go see person of peace in the diary. It's about building life together. It's about being family together. It's about sharing life. You need to be the one that they call for a chat and you need to be the one that calls them for a chat. You need to share life together. Go round, see them, them come round to you. And you can only get to that level of relationship when you spend intentional time together. It takes a long time to have good friends. It often takes a life experience. For me, having children was a huge opening into all kinds of non-Christian friends that I now have. Sometimes a sad time can bond you together. Sometimes a celebration can bond you together. But it's about letting people in and in spending intentional time with you. But finally, in verse 8... We get to the point which we all would like to jump to, actually, because we're like, yes, we're all about sharing Jesus. But it comes right at the end of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go and find your people of peace, spend a load of time with them, accept their hospitality, and then finally, be ready to do the works of the kingdom and speak the words of the kingdom in an appropriate way. This is what he says. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Sounds the most holy, but it's the last one because it isn't about crowbarring Jesus into every conversation. It isn't about crowbarring him into your relationship. It's about people naturally discovering Jesus by the way you live, by the way you do your relationships, by the way you invest in them and in their families. It's about the way that you live that shines of Jesus. Now, that's a challenge in itself. But actually, we need to be ready for when those natural moments come up. And when you have this pattern of life where you're intentional and you have time to spend with people, it's hard not to shine Jesus out to them because they know you and they see how you tick and they see the difference Jesus makes in your life. As you pray for them, you find that there are significant moments that come up because God has ordained them. There are moments when you can have those conversations, where you can say God's kingdom is near, whatever that looks like for that relationship. Jesus was highlighting a new way for us. He was saying, it's about relationship. This is how I do it. This is how I've trained my disciples to do it. If you're my disciples, it's time to follow me. We're going to come into land, but I've got a few questions for us just to reflect on as we finish. And if you're in a small group, you're going to reflect on these this week as well. Do you know that you're chosen by God for a mission? You're his worker. He's called you. He's chosen you. And are you willing? Are you ready? Are you obedient to his call? Are you going to be used in the harvest? 
And if so, who are the people that you gather with? Who are the people that support you and love you, who send you out? Who are the people that draw you back so you can celebrate, but you can also moan when something's not going well? And who are those people that God's sending you to? Maybe all you take away today is a whisper from God in your ear, that's a person of peace for you. That's a person of peace for you. Why don't we think about those questions as we respond together? Simon's going to lead us.